in the pew in front of you, 961. Otherwise, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to look primarily just at verse 17 this morning. I'll look at other spots in chapter 15 and elsewhere as well. But we'll focus primarily on verse 17. But for now, I'm going to start reading at verse 17 and read over to verse 23. This is God's word for us today. And here's what God says. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And those um, also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life, only we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There is no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. It's precious. It's alive. And we would pray this morning that as we look at your word and consider the resurrection of Christ, as your word explains these things to us, that your word would come alive in our hearts and lives, that you would change us because of the resurrection of Christ. For we pray this in Jesus' name. The Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. He wrote to the church at Corinth, and it was a very troubled church. There was a lot of uh, troubled moving parts going on in the church there. They were confused about a lot of things. They, they in particular, had specific questions to the Apostle Paul about specific things. Paul had overheard, gotten back to him, of things going on in the church at Corinth. And so he writes this letter that we know as 1 Corinthians in order to answer some of the questions that they had asked him, but also to address some of the things that he understood was going on in the church there. And the resurrection, this matter of the resurrection was one of the things that the church at Corinth was confused about. And so he spends all of chapter 15 unpacking the importance of the resurrection. And I just located us at verse 17 to, to, to get a flavor for how precious and how important the resurrection of Christ is to Christianity. It's all on the line. Everything hinges, if you would, on Christ and on his resurrection. And so Paul simply collapses all of that and summarizes it and says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Think with me about the essence of Christianity. Christianity at its most irreducible, fundamental level. Christianity surrounds an announcement. It's an announcement of a historical event, an event that took place in 
history. It's an event that took place in history that God himself arranged, that God sent his son. And the announcement of Christianity is what God has done in his son by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, at its essence, Christianity is not a, a, a conceptual thing. It's, it's not simply a philosophy of life. It's, it's not even a moral system. No, at its essence, Christianity is an announcement of how God is rescuing sinners through the life and death and resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your eyes up there on verses three and four of chapter 15. You'll see the, a, a, a wonderful summary statement of the message of Christianity that defines the essence of Christianity. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance, this is the prime directive of the essence of Christianity, that which I also received, and here it is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Scriptures is a message about the announcement of what God has done in Christ, so that all who turn to Christ all who, in understanding that Christ has died for our sins, that he was buried and they rose again, all who understand that and believe that to be true now have the opportunity to turn to this person that this announcement is true about and to trust him and to follow him because of what he has done in his life and through his death and now in light of his resurrection. All who turn to Christ have the matter of our sins dealt with. Well, what's this matter of our sins that needed to be dealt with? You and I were made by God. We're not here by a random freak accident. We're not here by a, a mishap. We are here by intentional design. Each one of us were, have been personally made by the God of this universe. And we were made for an explicit, incredible, beautiful purpose. Every one of us made by God were, were made uh, to live in relationship with the God who made us. We were made to live in a relationship with God, uh, and, and, and the fact that we don't live in a relationship with God explains how it is only through relationship with God that our souls can be satisfied, that our hearts can be quiet and content. And yet sin poses the problem of experiencing life the way that God intended it. Our sin, both our own and that which we inherit from Adam, is defined by things like a rebellion against God, a rejection of God, a refusal to honor God and to love God and to serve God and to glorify God and to obey God, and to worship God, and to rely upon God. Our sin is not only a rebellion and a rejection and a refusal, but it is a resistance to turn to him, attempting to make life work in our own terms, in our own way. 
Our sin cuts us off from that relationship with God. Our, that our sin causes us to be estranged from the very God who made us. And yet all of this, all of this matter that hinders us from living in right relationship with God, all of the sin that, that creates this barrier and this uh, enmity and this animosity, all of this sin gets resolved through an event of history. That Christ came in history. That God himself took on flesh, the second member of the Godhead. God himself took on flesh and came to this earth for a rescue mission. And this Christ who took on flesh and became a man, as a God-man, he lived a perfect life, something that none of us could lay claim to in our own experience. He fulfilled all righteousness. He did everything in his thoughts, his emotions, his words, his behavior, all that was the sum and substance of the life that he lived was perfectly pleasing to the God, uh, God the Father. And yet this Christ died. He died the death of a criminal. Not for something that he had done wrong. He did not do anything wrong. But he died as a substitute. He died for people like you and me. People who are estranged from God because of our own sin. Because of our own rebellion and Rejection and refusal and resistance. Uh, and yet this, this God sent his son, Jesus. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Christ laid down his life on that cross, not for something that he had done wrong, but as a substitute, taking the sins of any and all who would turn to Jesus and bearing up under the curse, the condemnation, the judgment of those sins. And this Christ who died in our place was buried. And yet this Christ who died in our place and was buried has been raised from the dead. And this Christ now resides at the right hand of God until such time he is pleased to return and collect his children into his presence and establish a new heaven and a new earth. You see, everything hinges upon Jesus, what he did in history, what he did in time and space. And this Christianity is a message announcing what God has done in Christ by his spirit. So, if that event of history did not take place, if Christ never came, but uh, then we are still in our sins. If Christ came, but he uh, did not live a perfect life, then we are still in our sins. If he came and lived a perfect life, uh, but he didn't die for us, then we are still in our sins. If he came and lived and, 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 and died for us, and yet he's still buried, he's not risen from the grave, then we are still in our sins. 
Think with me about what that means. What's the implication of that? For if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we are still in our sins because Christ is still dead because of our sins. That in fact, that sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross was all for naught. God did not accept that as a just payment, as an appropriate satisfaction of his justice. Then we still have to face God for our own sins. We are still in our sins. There's a passage that the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter two that I think gives even more specificity, more details. It specs out some of the implications of what it means to still be in our sins. The Apostle Paul wrote this in reference to what our life consists of without Jesus Christ. And so I think it would be applicable to what our life would consist of if Christ has not been risen from the dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, then we are still in our sins. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul explains the implications. If we are still in our sins, then here's what's operational in our lives today. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So we're still in the realm of death. We're still cut off from any uh, sense of the fullness of God's goodness and God's presence. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And then he lays down four subpoints underneath that. It says, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. That's the first one. We'll come back to that. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That's the third one. Carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Those four things give description to uh, the implications of our life. If, if, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, if that event of history has never happened, then you and I are still in our sins. We are still exploited by the whims of this fickled world. We are still enslaved by the cruel demands of the devil. We are still entrapped by our own um, evil desires, and we are still estranged and, and will be expelled from the presence of God. See, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our current state is that of exploitation, enslavement, entrapment, estrangement, and expulsion. We have no hope of any other outcome. And quite frankly, our gathering this morning has been pointless. Now, the donuts were good. And it's always cute to see the kids sing. 
But other than that, there's not anything going on here. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then this is an exercise in futility. You ask me how I know he lives? Well, biblical Christianity answers that question like this. You ask me how I know he lives, he has been raised from the dead, and that has been attested to by a plethora of eyewitnesses. You see, Christianity is not in vain. Christianity is not pointless. Why? Because Christ has been raised. He would say emphatically there in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he puts that, that statement to a validating point in verses 5 through 8 of 1 Corinthians 15. So look up there at this, uh, where he says, um, after he's made this announcement um, that Christ died and was buried and was raised again, and it says, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, referencing to that day and age in which this book was written, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul writes, he appeared to me, one untimely born. Josh, in Bible study this morning, unpacked when, when, Christ, when the risen Christ appeared to the apostle Paul at a, at a later, later point. But my point is that Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. This is not wishful thinking on our part. Um, this is the, a, a, a fact stated by God that has been, in fact, verified by eyewitnesses. The, the historical truth claims of Christianity are true. I, I point that out to remind us that faith is not a blind leap. Faith is not a response in light of the evidence. Faith is not a response in light of reality. No, faith is a reasonable response in light of reality. Faith is an appropriate response in light of what is factually true. It is a wholehearted response to the truth. What The truth, first of all, what God says. God says that Christ has been raised from the dead. But something that is so vital to our future and our destiny and the reality of what shapes how we would live our lives is, is that this truth claim made by God himself in his word has been verified by hundreds of eyewitnesses. Because due to the nature of this statement of truth from God's word that Christ has, in fact, been raised from the dead, that it, and in fact, our deliverance, our salvation hinges upon the occurrence of an event of history, then it has been reasonably verified by eyewitnesses. So that this gathering this morning will benefit us more than just simply we had a good donut and we heard some beautiful kids sing, although that was great too. We gathered this morning with hope. 
We gather this morning with confidence, not self-confidence. We gather this morning, nevertheless, with great confidence that the shape and the course of our lives has been altered. And the shape and course of our lives has been altered because there is a tomb that is empty. That, that, that what Christ did on the cross was not simply a boatload of good intentions. I hope this turns out right. I hope this does some good. But in fact, what Christ did on the cross and the, and the efficacy of what he did on the cross has been validated by the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. Therefore, we are no longer in our sins. Therefore, our faith is not in vain. As the Apostle Paul unpacks that, think with me once again, if we are no longer in our sins, then using that same rubric from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, what does that mean in reference to our sins? It certainly means that the penalty of our sins has been paid for by the death and the resurrection of Christ. That in Christ there is a full, final, and forever payment that, that has satisfied the justice of God on our behalf. That there is therefore now no condemnation as we stand before God in Christ but the Apostle Paul talked about the effects of sins in so many other ways. He talked about how we, uh, outside of Christ, uh, that we followed the course of this world, uh, that we, I, the way I put it, that we were exploited by the winds of the world. We were uh, uh, enslaved by the cruel demands of the devil. We were entrapped by our own uh, evil desires. Those two have been dealt with through the resurrection of Christ. All who are in Jesus Christ are no longer directed by the world. We've now been given new ears in which through the word of God we now listen to Jesus and follow him. We, we are no longer enslaved by the cruel demands of the devil. He does no longer dictate to us which way is up and what our lives are about. But we are now directed by the lordship of Jesus. We are no longer debilitated by the evil desires inside of us, of our own flesh but we've now been infused with new desires of the Spirit of God. And we are no longer destined for condemnation, as I alluded to a moment ago, but we are now destined to dwell in the presence of God, which is described in Psalm 16, but preached on the day of Pentecost in light of the the resurrection of Christ, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. You see that the event of history, the resurrection of Christ that has been proclaimed by God and that has been validated by witnesses, it does work itself out into how you and I would order 
our daily lives. All who trust in Jesus will not face condemnation from God. But all who trust in Jesus also are no longer to be directed by the whims of the world. We are to be directed by the very words of God. All who trust in Jesus are no longer dictated to by the demands of the devil. We are to be the first in line to be directed by the claims of Christ's lordship over our lives. We who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are no longer debilitated by the evil desires of our flesh, but we have now been unshackled and released and infused with fresh desires, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These things are realities that explode in our hearts because there is an empty tomb. Because Christ has been raised from the dead. An event of history, historically verified, that now makes a difference in the implications of our daily lives. When we say Christ is alive, then we who believe in Christ we can also say, we are alive. We are alive in Jesus. We are no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. We are now alive to walk in the newness of Christ. We are not dead in our sins. We are not directed by this world and its whims. We are not dictated to by the devil and his maniacal demands. We are not even debilitated by the, own, by, the, by the inward insane craziness of our own fleshly desires. We are now alive in Christ. That Christ has been raised from the dead means that Christ is no longer dead for our sins, which means that we are no longer dead in our sins. We have been joined to Jesus, any and all who are trusting in Jesus. Let me just pause. I'm not talking about you know a thing or two about. That has to be true. That's the case. It is what it is. I'm talking about that you understood what Jesus has done. You believe that to be true. And therefore, you have turned to this Jesus. You are trusting in him. He is more than a mythical figure or more than a person that we wink and nod to on Sundays, but he is now our Lord. He is now the one who has given us life and breath and peace and joy and strength, and all of that life and breath and peace and joy and strength is now to be lived for the glory of God in Jesus Christ. The resurrection is certainly relevant when we breathe our last breath and we die and we face God, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ is relevant long before we breathe our last breath and die. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is relevant for how you and I live the rest of this day. 
And if the Lord should give us another day, then it's relevant for how we would live that day and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that and the day, I don't know how far you want me to go, but you get the point. In other words, it's, it's, it's relevant for right here, right now. Christ has been risen from the grave so that you and I in Christ can walk in newness of life. That we wouldn't be the same old Joe fill in your name. That we would already begin living with a whole new trajectory. The resurrection of Christ resets everything for us right now. Right now. How we look at our work how we relate to our family, how we love our spouses, how we raise our kids, how we go to school, how we fill in the blank. Every nook and cranny of our lives is now reshaped, reset, redefined by the fact that there is an empty tomb. Christ has been raised. And this offer of this reset, this offer of this new life, this offer of of Christ now and his word and his spirit now shaping the trajectory of our lives, how does it begin? It begins by turning to Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul says in the second part of Ephesians chapter 2. After he said, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, of whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That doesn't have to be the end of our story. Or the passage goes on, and it goes on gloriously with, a, with a, a stout implication of the resurrection of Christ. In verse 4, he says, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. A whole new rescue operation, rescuing us from the condemnation of God, but also rescuing us from the debilitation of our own evil flesh, rescuing us from the dictates and demands of the devil, rescuing us from the cruel uh, directives of this whimsical world. We now have, in fact, lived in union with the risen Christ And so Paul would actually say there's a sense in which we could say we are already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. All who turn to Christ, all who turn to the risen Christ, all who trust in this risen Christ, all who relinquish and turn from um, themselves and their sin and even their attempts of self-righteously trying to win favor with a holy God, all who abandon all of that 
and turn to Jesus, trusting only in the Lord Jesus Christ, are given new life, are given eternal life, are given, in fact, the very same power that raised Christ from the dead is now the very same power by the Spirit of God who indwells all who are trusting in Jesus to walk in a whole new direction, to walk in the, in the, in the, the, the newness of a resurrected life and that we would faithfully do that until we do breathe our last breath. And then after we breathe our last breath, there will come a day when God, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God will raise us up, body and soul, and there is our ultimate, final, satisfying destiny. We will dwell in the presence of God in a new heaven and a new earth with bodies that have been made right and made perfect and made new, all because an event of history Christ came, Christ lived, Christ died, Christ was buried, and Christ rose from the dead. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you have sent him to do, and thank you that by the power of your spirit, he did exactly what you put him forward to do. And we thank you for that because we are the beneficiaries of all that Christ has done. We have been granted pardon and new life and eternal life. We've been given a new destiny and a new identity and a whole new direction. We're so grateful that as we gather this morning, we don't gather hoping that everything will turn out all right. We gather confident that since Christ has been raised from the dead, then we too will experience resurrection life already now, but even more fully, well into eternity. Help us to live these things out on this day, on this week, and might you be glorified by the reality of your saving work in our hearts and lives. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song.